Welcome to the Net Effects Podcast, where Les Ottolenghi and Mark Bavasoto break down how the Fortune 500, the hottest startups, and the best VCs succeed through digital, social, and personal transformation. And now, here are your show hosts, Mark Bavasoto and Les Ottolenghi. It's our pleasure to welcome the national anthem singing, C-suite rock star, and the woman dominating a predominantly male world, the managing director of Telco Media, Entertainment, and Gaming at Google, Tina Pacone. Welcome to the show, Tina. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here and certainly going to have a lot of fun today. <laughs> Thank you. So before we get started, a couple of house cleaning items. Uh, if you want to check out any past episodes of the NetFX podcast, please go to netfxpodcast.com. Okay, so Tina, for every podcast, we always start off them with something called Unmasking the Executive. This is a story. No, we want this to be a big story that the world doesn't know about Tina to help us to get a better understanding of about what shaped you as a person. All right. So what shaped me as a person? Probably at 18, my parents gave me the grace of being on my own. So I had to leave and figure out how to be completely on my own and survive. So I was the first one to be able to go finish high school and college. From my family and to do so i actually started working at three in the morning with ups and learned how to do all of their technology and translated that into a full-time job that i kept all through college so that's wow. really what shaped me that is not on something you'll find on um googling me as well <laughs> as i um to laugh i actually also started in singing and that's how i paid for everything very good. See, that was the exclusive we wanted here, Tina. It's an exclusive for the world to know. And you dropped it here first on the NetFX podcast. Thank you for that. So let's take it back a little farther than that, right? Take us back to that little girl. Talk about your humble beginnings. Where did it all start for you? So I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I always wanted to be a park ranger growing up. And then I found out how much they made, which by the way, I still want to be one. They just don't make enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine. So now kind of growing up in Atlanta, kind of moved out when you're 18, started working at UPS, helping all the technology side of that. So is that where your love of technology began? It actually began quite sooner than that. My dad was a mechanic and I learned how to be under a car and actually put a car back together. So taking a car apart and putting it back together and the mechanics of that is what I absolutely fell in love with, as well as learning how to play piano. It's the same technology. It's changing the thirds, the fifths. It's doing the same thing. It's a coding language. So that's where I started being able to utilize that and turned it into an entire career of doing something different. But if you think about it, it's not only the technology, it's the interaction with the customer. So you've got to be able to ask the questions. What is it running right in the car? What doesn't sound right? How do we make it better? Those same things translated into an entire career over time that took a while to get to, but again, it all shaped how I am today. You know, you obviously have a love for music, right? And we can see that and we can see the guitars in the background to really bring that love out. Now, is there a correlation between being a good musician to being a good leader? I would say yes. And the reason is there's a dedication that you find in musicians that you don't find necessarily everywhere else. It's a dedication to the craft, a dedication to the trade, of being able to learn the instrument. And the one thing most people don't realize is when you're a music major or when you're studying music, you have to learn every instrument and play it well. 
And by doing so, you can then lead the orchestra. If you don't know how to play every instrument, how are you going to lead them in such a way that's going to have the effect of the sound quality you're looking for as well as the entire symphony? So it's something that has driven me ever since. If I learned how to play every part, then I would be able to lead the entire room. So that is one thing that has driven me ever since. Essentially like being a conductor, correct? That's correct. Awesome. So your career has been super impressive and I want to do justice. So I want you to just kind of bring us back to your career journey because I think it's important for other women listening to the podcast to see how you kind of started. We talked about that a little bit, but just take us through kind of a quick two minute synopsis of your climbing up the ladder through different roles. Absolutely. So I was at AT AT&T for 18 years. And when I started there, I started as a project manager in the technology field. And it was all about the rigor about what to do in technology. AT&T gave me the grace of fast tracking into an executive position. But to do so, it was the same theory that I've always used. You had to learn every position in order to do it well. And you had to take a risk. I always tell people say yes more than no in order to get ahead. So part of it with AT&T was once I did the project management, it was turning around and becoming chief of staff. It was turning around after being chief of staff and learning that role to then managing all of the releases across AT&T, which was 1.4 million development hours, which was huge. And how to take it from flaw to flawless. I remember I named that tagline and I said, if I'm able to do it, I want that on every memo. (laughs) I want flawed to flawless. But it was taking a journey. And I remember they asked if I would take the position without the title because they wanted to see if I could command the respect of all the engineers without the title. And I agreed to do it. I said, yes, again, more than no, because it was a part of that journey. And being one of the few women in the room, I had to be able to command the room in such a way that was positive, to have a positive effect. But at the same time, I had to also mean business that we had to get a release in without any SEV1 issues. So again, it was a way of commanding the room in a different way than most people had done before. So from there, I ended up taking a director role and then a vice president role with them until AT&T board of directors asked if I would start the big data center of excellence. And I remember saying yes to the role (laughs) without actually even knowing what it was and running down the hall to a friend to say, what's big data? And it was everything I'd ever done, but again, they just named it something different. So it was taking the chance and the risk to say yes. So after leaving AT&T, I went to Fidelity Investments and spent a career there progressing up to Chief Operating Officer. And from there to RTI International, where I was the CIO globally and was there as well. So it's been a progression all the way through but it's one that's been very intentional. It's one that's had ups and downs. Please don't think everybody listening, it's been the perfect (laughs) rosiest one, our road. I am still one of the only females in the room 90% of the time. I'm still one of the few that goes through and understands the technology and is able to hold my own. But it's also because I go back and I get nano degrees. I go back and I ensure that I know every bit of that technology and can hold my own in a room because I'm expected to hold it a little bit more in order to stay in the seat. So it's a bit different as a female and it's being able to do so in a way that really brings people together. Let's touch on that a little bit and then we can kind of talk about your time at Google um, currently. But kind of being the only, and I think this is important again, kind of for you know women and really aspiring to be leaders, right? So when you're in a, a male dominated situation, 
how do you stand out? I'm sure you're going to kind of get that sideways look. You know, how do you get past that to have the confidence to become and really stand out in that room? I will tell you it's not easy. I'll start with that. And I remember the first time I did it, I swear the sweat that came off of me probably would be, you know, I think I threw my jacket away after that meeting. And it's being able to project a confidence that you don't feel. And that takes practice. And it also takes other people giving you the grace of helping you out. I'm going to give you an example. When I was with AT&T, John Donovan and I, at the time he was leading it, was we were in a meeting and we were walking in the room and he turned and it was in California, we'll never forget it. And they turned and looked at me and I was the only female and they said, oh, thank God, we need coffee. And I remember I was so stunned, I wasn't even sure what to say. I literally was stunned. And by the way, this wasn't that long ago. And he turned and said, better let me get the coffee because she's making the entire decision for our company. (laughs) And he set the tone at the time that that was it. I owned the room from that perspective. So it was able to have somebody in the room that also helped you own the room. And I think at times we're going to need those advocates to be able to show everybody has a voice. And that's one thing I've done through my whole career. Everybody has to have a voice on my staff, on my team. If they're not talking, I call them out because I need to understand what they know that maybe they're not articulating well. But it's a confidence that you have to be able to practice. It does not come quickly and is one that is a learned skill. You're not born a great speaker. You're not born someone who is able to turn around and lead people. It's a skill that you possess over time and you continue to refine it as you go. It's a great point. And today we're living in this unique time. And I think there's a lot of issues kind of coming at the forefront. So when we talk about inclusive environments, for an example, are you now seeing a change with all kind of everything coming out, people more aware of it? Are you seeing it, you know, currently at Google and, and people that you may know, are you seeing people are a little more aware now to give others an opportunity to succeed. I am. I am seeing that. And I'm also seeing people speak up more. And I think that didn't happen in the past. And it's a chance for us to be able to reach out and help them up. And I think that's really where this is the time that we have to do that. So if people speak up and if they have a problem with, I don't like something being called a certain phrase, change it. This is the time to be able to make a difference more than any other time in our history. And so because of that, I think that it really is an opportunity for us to step forward. And I see that at Google, I see that across other companies that I interact with. So there's so much divide, like I said, in today's world, right? There's a lot of different opinions, there's a lot of different eco chambers that are happening. People are kind of living in their own little bubble. So when you have a team of a wide variety of people, how do you really get that team rowing in the same direction? So this is one of the things I love. I love having a multicultural diverse team because that's when you're really going to get all the insights. That's when you're going to get difference of opinion and you're able to come up with a solution that probably you couldn't have done any other way. But you have to have a singular, absolutely focused mission and you have to have a set of ways for them to accomplish that mission. And you have to have it attainable because a lot of times for you to be able to say, great, the lottery's tonight, go pick all five numbers and the special magic number and you can win. You can't do that in business. You've got to be able to give people a set of attainable goals and a set of attainable OKRs is what we call them at Google, but (laughs) an attainable measured objective to be able to get to. So having that mission and focus is what you've got to drive to. And you might have to refine it. You might have to change it. But if you think about it, 
you're still being able to communicate it and articulate it in such a way that everybody wants on it. Everybody is excited by it. And you've got to project it now across the screen. You've got to project it across the phone. You're not necessarily in the room the entire time. And that's harder. And so now you have this young group of people coming in. We talk a lot about this on our podcast. We have you know other great leaders on. And I think we all kind of grew up kind of doing these type of podcasts that, you know, is kind of, you know, build that hard shell, right? You know, your parents build that hard shell around, you You know, be tough, have a tough mindset, don't let anyone get in your skin. And now we're seeing this new crop and, you know, Les kind of makes fun of me because I'll talk about participation trophies, right? That everyone kind of gets a trophy and then it makes disappointment that much harder for people, right? And again, that's just, and I try to look outside that lens, but, you know, especially at Google, you know, I think they're kind of known to bringing a lot of these young crop through the technology sector. So I don't know specifically on your team, but how does one handle, and I feel like even younger people today, their attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So how do you really handle younger people? You know, the way I do, and so it does help. I have two 20-year-olds, so uh, <laughs> both girls, and it definitely helps because, again, it's how to get across my point very fast and in such a way that isn't going to do three things. One, it's going to piss them off quickly to where they're <laughs> not going to even listen. You've got to get your point across in a second manner that they can easily consume what you're trying to say. And third, that they want to do it, whether or not they feel it's their idea or yours. So a lot of times it's how to make something, even their idea, to where they want to interact and do it. And I think that's the big piece of it is it's not that you're necessarily giving everybody a trophy, but you're giving them an idea that they can soar and be able to accomplish. And that's a part of what they're really wanting to do. And I see it all the time and I hear about it all the time. I love, I got in a meeting the other day and somebody goes, well, it's not fair. They worked more than I did and they got that and I didn't. And I'm like, are you kidding? Um, <laughs> right? So it's being able to respond and react and treat everybody with respect, but at the same time say, look, here's the goal you had. Did you make it or did you not? That's amazing advice. So let's kind of make a pivot here and talk about your current role, which looking at the title, there's a lot going on there. Managing Director of Telco, Media, Entertainment, and Gaming. I think you kind of all wrapped that in into maybe one, but can you talk a little bit more about that role that you have currently? Yep. So I have a sales team that has the top 40 accounts across Google and yep they actually respond into those industries. As well, I also have customer engineers that and a partner organization as well that support our customers. So it's a split role. So if you think about it, I have to wear a sales hat and an IT technical hat in order to bring both teams together. And it's really where a sweet spot is. So it's not only being able to manage engineers, which I absolutely love because their brains work so amazing <laughs> on what to put together. You think right. it and they can just design it in two seconds, right? And then you turn around to a sales team who wants to succeed, who wants to do things different, who wants to be able to be number one in the industry. And you bring all of that together and that's really where a lot of fun happens. So let's talk about that a little more. So let's talk about data, right? Which is when, we're talk, when we turn to turn about this digital transformation is kind of the big buzzword out there. When we talk about big data and data in general, you know, I'm sure at Google is, you know, they're collecting so much data, obviously, and then that's kind of transitioned to AI. But talk about big data a little bit, right? How do you make best of use of big data? Yeah, and I would say it's not even big data. That was the misnomer back in 2012, really, when we started, right? It was all big data, big data. Everybody go get a big data lake. Everybody has to go get Hadoop. Everybody has to go do something completely different. But if you think about it, if the data isn't actionable, it doesn't matter. What good is it? If it cannot get you something from somewhere, if you don't understand the customer, if it doesn't give you analytics, 
if it's not giving you something that's going to dramatically change your business, the data is useless. It doesn't do any good. It's just noise. It would be like a different language that you're trying to understand. So you've got to be able to look at the data and understand what it means. You've got to look at it and say, goodness, I didn't even realize a customer journey could be this way. So you have to understand what the data is telling you and then how to utilize it and then how to monetize it, how to do something different with it in order to excel your business. So those are really the steps when it comes to big data. And when you say digital transformation, I must laugh. I think I hear that all day long. We want to have digital transformation. You know, I'm to the point it's like digital transformation 2.0 because apparently we missed 1.0. And it's more of how do we really get to the products we need and how do we get rid of our technical debt? So if you right. think about it, we have things that are back from, you know, I've seen, unfortunately, things that are way far back in time that I think should be in a time capsule hmm. and yet they're in data centers. So how do you transform for speed? How do you get things to the cloud? How do you turn around and give the tools you need to your employees to do something different? It doesn't mean you're taking away every job. It means you should be retooling, reshaping, rethinking how your employees are working in order to get them to a more effective job to be able to utilize the data you have and the tools you're giving them. Not everybody has to sit in a data center anymore. So how to give them different tool sets, that's really what companies should be thinking about. And I want to touch on the cloud in one second here, but I think something else that's important that I want to touch on real quick is, especially Google, supporting small businesses. We're in a a unique time for small businesses that they've been really hammered by the pandemic. So again, if you could talk upon this at all, but how is Google supporting kind of the resurgence, let's say, of small businesses in the States? A lot of it is we support it multiple ways. So whether it's by funding whether it's by initiatives we're doing, but you think about our customers, if we're out there supporting them and giving them tools that are more effective, that's really going to enable their business and their success. And we hear all the time from customers, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I was able to utilize this tool at the right time to be able to excel our business. And I think that's a really big piece and you see it in their faces. That's the one thing I love. It's not necessarily, you know, oh my goodness, we're giving them a trophy or they're giving us a trophy. It's to be able to find the satisfaction that we've given them a tool to enable their success at the right time for what they need. And that's really where success lies for us. And that's where it lies with our customers. And a lot of times they're using Google workspaces. They're able to collaborate differently. You think about it, all the younger people, I know they hate being called kids, all the younger people are using a lot of the tools because of schools. They all have Google workspaces, right? Being able to utilize that in the business place to where it's an easy transition for employees to do, that's really successful. And those are, you know, some small things that we're doing. Then you look at the bigger things where we've done data center transformations for companies. Those are something totally different. We're looking at how to really change the market with 5G, Mac, and Edge. So it expands from the little things we're doing all the way up to the bigger things with the different customers. And that's really where the fun lies. So let's talk about the cloud a little bit, right? And this is another area that you're seeing a lot of companies kind of making that transformation, right? Some of them do it well, others have no idea what they're doing. It's a challenge for a lot of people. So let's kind of take it back. Let's do baby steps here, right? So cloud, right? I'm a company. What's the first step? Well, and it's funny. I always say (laughs) you've got to take step one to start and you've got to understand what a cloud is. 
Right. And it's not just the white puffy things in the fields and that you look up at the sky. So a lot of the first step is you've got to understand what you have in your data centers. What applications do you have? What data do you have? And what are you dependent upon? And then turn around and translate that to what are you looking to do? Do you need it online all the time, 24 by seven coverage? Do you need always on availability? Do you need scalability? Do you need security? Because I think that's a big kicker right now that people are missing. They're dependent upon themselves for security and that scares the heck out of me, to be honest. Instead of being able to have some automation to it and when patches need to be done, you need them done right away. It's not like if you read the news, there's a breach happening just about every day that is momentous. So how do you get somebody else helping you with that? And then you look at it from a cost perspective. How much are you spending on employees? How much do you spend to heat and cool your data centers? You've got to know all of this information. You have technology on the edge. Are you looking for low latency? Are you looking for speed? What are you looking for? So really to start the journey, it's being able to define those parameters before you even start talking about it. And then do you want to be with one cloud or multi-cloud? Meaning do you want to put all your eggs in one basket with somebody who could be your competition? Do you want to put them all in the eggs in one basket with a data center that may not be in close proximity to you? So you've got to look at all of those gating factors as you get started and then have the freedom not to be locked in to something for an egregiously amount of time, being able to have that freedom of choice is how I look at it. So, and I've done way too many data center transformations well before coming. So, you know, as you think about it, do you want it on-prem? Do you want multi-cloud? Do you want hybrid cloud? You've got to answer all of these, but a lot of companies don't even know how to define it. So it's really getting someone in to help explain it and find out what the purpose is. That's a good point. And I think this is where a lot of people struggle, right? Is finding that right person because in a world full of quote unquote experts, right? You know, we have a lot of experts that run around in this world and say they're experts. You know, what should a company do? What should they look for when they're kind of looking for a cloud expert to help them make that transformation? I think when you're looking at it, it's how to look at not only what have they done, which companies have they looked for? So if you're going the consulting route, what companies are they associated with? Is it with all the clouds or is it just with one particular cloud vendor? Because that's going to determine some of the advice they're going to give you. And I think you have to be just cautious as you go into it. You also want somebody who has done a data center transformation. You want somebody who has actually ported different data aspects to a cloud. You want to understand if it's a cloud native application you're trying to get to, or if you're going to have to have a heavy lift because it's data that actually is not going to necessarily go to a cloud fast. You've got to have somebody who understands that. So you've got to do your due diligence and your research on who you're going with and who are they certified with. And from a security perspective, have they ever had to deal with a breach? All of these things should go into your decision points on how you're looking for a partner. Well, that's wonderful advice and something that we'll definitely highlight when we get the show notes out because I think it's important because we do have a lot of people that kind of talk to us about these certain type of things that talk to us and then listen to the show. So here's a big thing that I think is important to both of us, right? And I think this is a challenge that I, in, in particular, the States is facing is around STEM, right? STEM education, right. which is huge to me, right? I'm a big ed tech guy, a big believer in that side of it. And how do we prepare? And I think even looking, I think it has to start 
in the public side, the public, you know, public schools, because they hold the majority of the kids, right? So how do we get more STEM in the schools? Great question. I really do believe every tech team and every tech person has to lean in. So the one thing that, and I'm very passionate about this, I believe Google should be in schools helping. I believe Microsoft and Amazon should be there helping to either serve in a class participation to being able to hold classes are giving some of the technology over to allow it because we're in it together. We've got to have the kiddos coming out of college to be able to utilize them. But if we're not starting in middle school and high school, we're going to lose them because they're not going to think it's fun. They're not going to see how they can shape the future. So if you think about it, they all love to play games. Think about (laughs) it. I have gaming. I mean, you look at the different games that are out there that kiddos are playing these days. You look at Fortnite, right? I mean, huge. Everybody wants to play. Take those same concepts and apply it into education. It's funny. Even my 20-year-old said, I wish there had been somebody to teach us coding from a gaming perspective. And I wish somebody had been able to teach us financials in a different way to where I could understand some of the things that I'm having to utilize in college. I mean, for my kiddos, I make them do an expense report if they want reimbursed. I know I'm that insane mom, but it's part of teaching them because they're going to be out of school soon. They've got to do it when they get out. And if I'm not teaching them, who the heck is right now? Nobody's out there saying you've got to have an expense report. Here's how you've got to detail it. No, by the way, that doesn't count. I'm sorry. I'm not paying for your Starbucks. How do you go through it? And volunteering. I have to tell you this, Mark, that's the other thing. I mean, I put my money where my mouth is. I go volunteer at a high school. My kids are not out. I go volunteer at middle schools where nobody's out that I know. I go volunteer at colleges all across the country, whether it is Georgia State, whether it's High Point University, whether it is any of the different ones, I'm constantly calling, asking, how can I help? How can I lean in? What can I do to help? How can I speak at one of your events? How can I do, whether it's Wake Tech in North Carolina here, NC State, there's been several times where I've leaned in and helped. But how can I do this in University of Berkeley? They ask, could you blow two weekend days and give advice to our master degree program? And they're doing a fast pitch. Do you mind giving up two days? I was all in. Now, is it a cost to it? Yes, it's two days of my life of what I could be doing differently. Is there a reward? Yes, because I'm going to be able to turn around and one day hire one of those people that I helped influence on their way out. I think that's great. And just one more question associated with that. And it's really around the future of education. And I know here's a struggle. A lot of people today are in tremendous student debt, right? And they're coming out of school with this debt. They're not getting very good jobs and high paying jobs that, you know, the the risk reward, right? And I know that Google and a lot of other companies are not so much looking at those qualifications anymore. So this is a son, I have a 17 year old, right? Deciding his future. What does the future of education look like to you? You know, is college a necessary thing? You know, what does that look like? I still think college is necessary because it helps grow up a little bit of the kiddos to where they're able to, yes, they're able to learn some, but they're also able to have a grace of being on their own. And I think that's important because it's going to give them life skills that they necessarily may not have. So we've got to be able to instill life skills into college age kids one way or another. I think universities have to change. I don't think they can stay the same unless they're giving the life skills back and 
when you look at the cost and the reward benefits, you've got to be able to provide an education in such a way that people can afford it. Whether it is a nano degree that they go get, whether it is being able to change the parameters of the way they are and figure out how to do lower cost housing, figure out how to do lower cost education, there has got to be a different way of doing it to where, again, we lean in and help because we're not going to make it. You have tenured professors that have been there forever, which is fantastic. But what if somebody who's been in the business world comes in and really rethinks those classes? I mean, I look at some of the ones that my daughters take in college right now, and I think that's not going to do you any good when I get to you, when you're out of school. So we've really got to look at it, not from necessarily the tenured professors. I have nothing against tenured professors, so please don't call us after this podcast. (laughs) But I do want to say you've got to be able to lean in and have business acumen come into play in such a way that you're being able to get college-age students ready to walk into a workforce and understand this is what it means to sit on a team. This is what it means to lead a team. These are things that you need to know to do an expense report. Here's what you need to know that you have to be in the office from eight to five or whatever the hours are, whatever the core hours are. It's not optional. You don't get to opt out of these things. These are things that you do for your job. And yes, you may have to work extra. I love this. Um, My nieces were like, oh my gosh, I had to work 45 hours this week. And I'm like, I'd love a 45 hour work. (laughs) Right? It's a different mindset. And being able to have business people come in with a business acumen and be able to instill that is what we're going to need to really change the way education is and to change the way our school systems are thinking right now. And I agree. And, and I'll cause the controversy. I have a big problem with tenure, anything. And it's mostly because I went to school to be a teacher and my host teacher basically was a tenured person up in New York. And her way of teaching was pulling out the file cabinet, pulling out the same lesson year after year, after year, after year. And that was really the change for me where I said, I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life because especially in public schools, they kind of have you teach the middle, right? That's kind of the biggest thing, teach the that's middle. That's correct. And that's obviously a huge problem, but I have a problem with it because not that I think job security is fine. I think that is one thing. And I don't, from that standpoint, but I think you also have to continue to be challenged, right? Where's yes. your challenge? Where's your motivation? How are you going to keep being different? How are you going to keep being creative? You take the creativity out of teaching, that's it. You're going to lose those kids. So I think that's super important. So I'll say it for you that I have a problem with the structure, but again, yes, don't call us after this podcast to tell us about that, but yes, we exactly. do. <laughs> right. We do. But the other thing that's interesting is you look at how much teachers are paid and you look at how much you're paying in the business world. That's We've true. got to have a better balance. You've that's got true. to be able to make teaching a better way of earning a living. And you've got to make it to where you're challenging the teachers to be able to want to learn more, want to do more, want to lean in and do different. I mean, I can remember, I will tell you this, I will never forget it. I was in high school and I failed an exam. Every answer was right, but they didn't like the way I used an algorithm to get to my answer. And the teacher said, I've never seen it, so you must have cheated. And I'm like, just because you don't know how to do something different doesn't mean you should fail me at it, right? Boy, did that teacher not like that. But that's how I've always been. I think differently. I'm wired differently. I don't like being in a box. I look at everything as a puzzle. I might get to the same beautiful picture as you do, but I might go a total different direction than you do. And we have to accept that and look at that as a different way of learning and a different way of coming to a same conclusion that 
just because it's different than you thought of it, it isn't wrong in the end. And I think that's where in business, a lot of people have a problem. I love this. That's not how we've done it before. I think I hear that all the time and I'm like, okay, well, it's a new day. So let's try it my way. <laughs> and it's funny, people sometimes have a problem, right? I always love this. They love having everything the same. And I will never forget, I put on the back of everybody's badge one time, if you don't like change, you're gonna like irrelevance even less. And it was written by a general. And I will never forget that statement because I thought, how true is that? We change every day. Everything you do changes. And so you change your clothes every day. Good Lord, that's something different you do. That is how we have to look at everything we do. We have to be able to look at people's different perspectives and to be able to come up with the better way of doing something than we've done in the past. And right. I think that's where sometimes we're held back. And teachers certainly a lot of times, unfortunately, hold us back because they want to do it the same way. That's a great point that you make. It's a pay thing, right? Also, I think teachers they do do a great job and they have a tough, tough, tough job and they do not get paid for that. So I can understand sometimes where that motivation may lack. So there has to be a fine balance. So I agree with that. Thought. So quickly, before we move into our rapid fire, let's talk about personal transformation real quick. So for your aspect, COVID has changed so many people, good, bad, and everything in between. So how is COVID, as we hopefully are coming to the end of the tunnel here, kind of changed you as a leader? as a mother. It's funny, you know, when we, I will never forget when I closed down the offices and sent everybody home and two things happened. One, they were like, well, the systems work. And I thought, well, I hope so. Um, <laughs> we planned for it, really hope so. And everything was effortless, but you forget that interaction. You're now looking at a box. I mean, we're looking at each other through the screen, which was fun to do as a podcast prior to COVID. Right. But now that you do it every day and day in and day out, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I have to look at everybody through a screen. <laughs> and the one thing that I did that most people, you know, didn't do through the pandemic was I still got up every morning and got dressed. I still got up and, uh, you know, I always say, you have to do five things during the day if you're going to be successful. Put your bedroom slippers away under your bed so you thank God for the day you have as you get up every morning. Make your bed because, good Lord, your nose, you need something that you can accomplish at least once during the day. And third, I would get up and intentionally get dressed. Now, I'd wear a lot of times holy jeans, but from the waist up, I looked fine. But it was something that I did intentional because not everybody was doing it. So it made right. it different and unique. And fourth, I would be able to change and shut down the day because we've gotten to where now we're so connected that we feel like we have to be tied in and working at 11 o'clock at night, which is insane. We forgot right. we have travel time. We forgot we go into an office. We forgot we actually talk to people. We interact with people. That's where we get our excitement, our jam from. So you've got to convey that on a screen to get people excited and to lead them on a little screen differently than you've ever done before. And you've got to deal with everything they're dealing with, whether it's kids, dogs, cats across the screen. <laughs> one had a donkey that I worked for me. A snake went across one. I mean, and you've got to be able to hold it together while all of this is going on in a meeting and still have a singular focus to what you're trying to accomplish and get everybody there. And that ain't easy. And so as you're going through, part of it was that I always said was go change at night to be able to you know, look different. I remember they called me into a meeting the other day and I had on a sweatshirt because it was 11 o'clock at night. And they were like, why wow, you look so different? And I'm like, seriously, really? 11 it's 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> right? What are we thinking here? And the other is, you know, at night, 
put those bedroom slippers back under the bed. You've had a day. Thank the Lord above that you made it through. Right. And you're able to relax at night and be able to start the next day. So it's really changed not only how we interact with each other, but when I see somebody now, I'm like so elated and excited because I actually see someone in person and can have a rapid fire conversation and get to me so much more done than trying to do it on a screen, switch the documents back and forth. So I miss that interaction. I miss being able to be with people. As a mom, you'll laugh. Not much has changed any different. So I've traveled my whole career. My husband has worked part-time and been a stay-at-home dad. So we've always had that going on. So now the funny part is they'll ping me a thousand times during the day. Hey, are you, <laughs> on, you on camera? Can you turn off your camera? Can I come in? <laughs> so, so that's been a bit different. But thank goodness they're both at High Point University and they never shut down that school. They would have been in school the entire time. They pivoted and transformed their school as a result of COVID. So they right. never had to send people home. So that was a nice thing that that school did that was a bit different than the rest. But it has changed. I mean, I'm constantly the one saying, how much game time? Do you need to be on that game nine and a half hours a day? Unless it's one of mine and I'm getting you know some type of revenue from it, then I'm okay. <laughs> That's great. And I think you're right. I think, you know, you know, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, as we push out of this, the challenges and the long-term effects that this has had on kids, right? Being at home so much and not interacting with their peers, because like, there's so much social interaction that happens here that it's hard. And, you know, to me, it's like, thank God for sports, right? And I think that it gave my kids in particular, the opportunity to be around their peers and get that activity in. But again, you know, when they go back to school and they haven't gone back to school yet until next until the fall. But when they go back to school, it's going to be a rude awakening for everybody. So hopefully, right? Hopefully there's not a ton of long-term challenges, but I think a big part of mental health is going to be a huge, huge industry in the next little while here to help these kids really kind of start making that transition back to the normal world. I agree. And you know, the one thing too, that we have to think about is think about employees. Now they've been home for over a year and a half. They don't want to go now four days on the road. They don't want to spend four nights away because now they pivoted and have a different reaction at home and they have a different home life than they have in the past. So you've got to determine with your employees, can you pivot as a leader to only making it work two days a week that they're going to be gone or three days a week or how do you work back with the employees Right. Because they're going to want a bit different than what they've had before. And at least that's what we're seeing at Google. And that really has to have some thought process put towards it and be able to really address that back with employees. Because you've got the mental health issues as well as the home life that's changed completely. And the people, and there's still a fear factor at times with, oh my goodness, what if I have to travel to a state that has a higher COVID right. impact than where I'm at? So what do I do differently? So again, you've got a lot of things going on as we try to go back into a bit of normalcy that we have not had to deal with in the past. And you've got a lot of offices that, good Lord, you've got to be able to go in and make sure the toilets flush them, make sure <laughs> that it's still there, right? So it's completely different than what we've been used to. So I think that all of that has to come into play as well. Beautifully said. So dun, dun, dun. now we're moving to the rapid fires part of our show where you give us the first answer that comes to your head. Don't think about it. First answer, just shut it out. So first question, favorite musician? Luke Bryant. On that note, favorite song? Most people are good. 
there, there are days I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite actor or actress? Oh my goodness. That's a hard one. You didn't prepare me for that. I'll have to give a shout out to Tyler Florence because he and I are doing a cooking show later tonight. Nice. Yes. But cooking show. He's going to be far disappointed because I have a pristine <laughs> kitchen because I don't utilize it. I support all of the economy by taking out during all of COVID and still doing that. So, <laughs> Okay. Uh, favorite book? Favorite book. Oh, I have it right here. Hold on. I got to actually pull it out because you're going to love this one. And I utilize it all the time, if I can actually get to it. See, I have to be where I can't move. So Nita Corbain wrote a book, How to Be a Great Communicator. And the reason I actually bring this up is, you know, when you look at it on person, on paper, and on the podium, you've got to be able to react and to be able to meet people where they are, not necessarily where you are. And so that's why I really have loved this book. And y'all, um, you can see it has about 3,000 tabs I keep going back to. <laughs> But I love that book for that reason. Nice. So the one piece of advice that you would give our listeners to do in the next six months. I'll give three pieces of advice and I give my team the same. Say yes more than no. You're going to have to say yes to volunteering. You're going to have to say yes to perhaps a different location. You're going to have to say yes to a job change. You're going to have to say yes and practice it. Too many times we miss opportunities because we're not the one that raises our hand and says, I'll go, I'll do, I'll be that person. Second, update your resume, people. <laughs> and I will tell this to every single person that's ever worked for me. I want you to interview inside the company where you are and externally once a year as a minimum. So in the next six months, you have to update your resume, update and change LinkedIn to where you're noticed and turn around and interview somewhere because it keeps up your skill sets for interview and where you don't necessarily get a trophy every day of the week, it'll be able to give you a little bit of a lift that you can do it, you can turn around and face your fears and you can get through an interview and perhaps even get a job offer and it will be able to say, I can stay where I'm at because I'm in the right place and I know I'm doing the right thing. Or, oh my goodness, I never realized the world was so big and the opportunities were so great and I'm missing out because I didn't say yes and I didn't stop and take that moment to do it. And women are the worst. And by the way, I will tell you this right now, women only apply for jobs if they're 90% qualified. And let me tell you, every woman watching this podcast is shaking their head and laughing because they know it's true. I will tell you, I only apply for jobs if I'm 10% qualified because I need the challenge. I need to learn it and I need to learn it better than anybody else that's ever done it. I'm passionate on this one. Can you tell? No, no, no I can't tell at all. <laughs> so we'll end with a quote by Tina. We all have the ability to spread our inner sunshine to light up the world and make effective change. I always pack a little extra for jury times. That is well said. And Tina, thank you so much for joining NetFX podcast, where we talk about leadership, digital, social, and personal transformation. We appreciate your time and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. And I hope everybody has had as much fun as I have today. <laughs> well, thank you, Tina. Appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. <laughs>